Good morning again. Good to see you today. So glad you're here on this uh, Palm Sunday. It's been uh, quite a morning. If you were here in the last hour, wasn't that exciting with the kids? I, this, I think, was one of the best uh, Palm Sundays where the kids on their own were waving their palms a lot. And we didn't always have to encourage them. They really got into it. Uh, heard a cute story uh, this week that I think is sort of fitting uh, for Palm Sunday. And uh, it, it was a Palm Sunday, and because of a sore throat, five-year-old Johnny stayed home from church uh, with the babysitter. And his family went to church, and when they returned home, they were carrying with them several palm branches. And the boy asked what they were for, and, and his mother answered, well, we all lifted up these palm branches and waved them over at Russ Brunke's head, or Jesus' head as, uh, as they walked by. Is Russ here? Yeah, he, he played Jesus this morning, so... Well, that made Johnny a little bit upset, and he fumed. Wouldn't you know it? The one Sunday I don't go to church, and Jesus shows up. (laughs) I was thinking about that this week, and um, caused me to wonder, how would we react if Jesus really came here today? And then it got me to thinking something even at a deeper level, more to the point perhaps. What sort of mood do you think Jesus would be in? if he showed up this morning. Mark tells us that upon entering the city, Jesus goes to the temple. He enters it. He looks around at everything. And then it was late in the day, so he leaves. But I wonder what Jesus saw. I wonder what he took in as he entered the city and and then as he entered uh, the temple area. What did he see? What did he feel? What was he thinking Uh, You know, and then he left. Now, I'll admit I'm a little conflicted about this day because I think our tendency is to uh, get caught up in the moment on this day. And we sort of turn Palm Sunday into a pre-Easter celebration. And that's very tempting because we already know what's going to happen to Jesus this week. We already know how the cheers will turn into jeers and, and that even the disciples, his closest friends, will fail to understand what he's been telling them all these years about his death and and in that moment of weakness and panic, how they will abandon him in his darkest hour. And because we know how this week is going to unfold, I want us to be careful today that a triumphant and cheerful parade, be careful that we use that to gloss over or soft pedal what is really happening in Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. Because what was taking place that day was more than simply a parade to honor Jesus. Hosanna does not mean hooray for Jesus. It means save us. It means help us. It means free us by becoming the leader of a revolution. If you're going to be our king, rescue us now. It's a desperate cry from an oppressed people who have lived under the yoke of Rome for a long time, who now believe one is riding into their midst, who could change their lives and change their society. And if there is any doubt about the desires and intentions of that crowd, please note that in addition to Hosanna, they were also saying, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They were, they were already thinking, we just might have a regime change here. The kingdom 
of our Father will be restored with Jesus at the top. So this parade, which is gathering momentum as it moves throughout Jerusalem, is much, much more than a parade. It has the makings of a political and religious protest. And making the situation even hotter, uh, Jesus deliberately rides into that politically and religiously aroused city on a donkey in a manner that suggests he is the fulfillment of of messianic prophecy, he himself sees himself as that Messiah. And so now Mark tells us, after setting his face toward Jerusalem, Jesus goes to the city and he looks around. What do you think he saw initially? I think he saw a major urban area. That, like all complex demographic centers, highlighted the social extremes. On the one hand, he, he, he's known this you know, for years, but going into the city, it, it must have been very keen to him. On the one hand are the wealthy, the rich, the well-to-do, the, the comf- comforted ones, uh, the ones who are entitled. On the other hand uh, are those who are very poor. They live in stark poverty on a staggering scale. Numerous people who suffer uh, from disabilities and, and um, illnesses and the strife of, of homelessness and, and not having enough to eat. And he saw it all. And he saw the structures and systems of a political, uh, powerful elite who established this, this kind of order within the religious area to control the people and their factions and, and to keep the real seat of power in Rome happy by preventing anything from taking place that would upset the status quo. He saw that. And finally, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he saw a religion whose leaders had become very cozy with those in political power. No doubt as a means of being allowed to practice their religion, but in truth, they were using their religion to develop something, uh, a sense of survival and, and the personal gain that would come with their practices. All of this Jesus saw when he stood there at the temple. You know, it got me to thinking that you know, whenever Jesus gets closer uh, to, a, to a temple, to a congregation, to a synagogue, in, in, the, in the Gospels, something remarkable always happens uh, when Jesus gets close to, to a place of worship. And you, you might recall as a 12-year-old, he shocks the temple leaders. Uh, before his bar mitzvah, he shocks them with his theological brilliance. Later on in his hometown congregation, They try to throw him off a cliff because he's insinuating that he himself is the Messiah. And here, and probably the best known of all his church appearances, Jesus makes a scene that will cause discomfort to us today. It's mindful to me of the time when the pastor of a church entered the pulpit and he said to his people, he said, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is that Jesus is coming back soon. And the bad news is that he's mad. And he's not going to take it anymore. Have you ever thought about Jesus getting mad? Yeah, no. (laughs) Kind of hard to do, isn't it? We see the smiling Jesus, the loving Jesus. Kind of hard to think of him as getting mad. But in our scripture today, just following what was read to us, he gets mad at a group of people 
changing money and selling and creating taxes in a system that was very unjust. In fact, in, in Mark 11, at verses 15 to 17, reading on, this is what Mark said. On reaching Jerusalem, and this would be the next day, Jesus entered the temple courts and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. You don't see him doing that with a smile on his face. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it into a den of robbers. Now, some people have thought of this primarily as a warning against engaging in exchanging money on church property. But we've said many times in sermons in our church and in other settings that that really misses the point. This story is less about commercial excess in God's house than it is about personal access to God's house. Soon after his palm parade, Jesus goes straight to his father's house, the temple. His father's house, the great temple. Now this wasn't merely a Jewish version of a mega church today. Uh, although it might have taken up about as much, much land, think of the, the temple area as two and a half football fields long, if you can imagine that, and about one football field wide. If you can just picture that in your mind. I, I probably should have had something on a slide here for you to look at, but put that into your mind. That's pretty big scale of, of land. All right, and then you've got this, this complex made up of expansive courtyards that move from kind of a lower ground to a higher ground. And with each movement into the courtyards, it's more and more exclusive as to who can go there. The whole complex was built to be a sequential transition from the secular environment in the city to a sacred environment in the Holy of Holies, which would have been at the very center of the temple complex. So picture that two and a half fields long by, or football fields long by a football field wide. You know, maybe about 20 yards around the entire interior of that complex was a porch. And that was just kind of an area to to just kind of hang around in and anybody could go there. And then just inside that, that porch was a massive open area called the Court of the Gentiles. Anybody could go there. Any person could go there, the court of the Gentiles. And remember, a Gentile is a non-Jew. So for those Gentiles and those non-Jews to go beyond that court meant certain death. They were forbidden to go any further into the temple complex. It was though in the court of the Gentiles where this whole money-changing thing happened and where Jesus got very upset at what was going on. Uh, there's another area in the temple complex called the Court of Women. And in the temple itself, the primary entrance is called the Gate Beautiful. So when you go in through the Gate Beautiful, the first massive room you're going to see there is called the Court of Women. And the Court of Women was open to any Jew, male or female. And it was here where the worship would usually take place. Again, no Gentile could go in there. No non-Jew could go there. So they couldn't participate in worship. 
And women could not even participate in the worship there. They had to be separated out from the men. Going a little bit farther into that temple building, then you would come to the court of the priests. And so as that name suggests, only the priests could enter there. And that would have been the place where they did the burnt offerings on the great altar offerings that had been given over to the priests by the people who had purchased them in the court of the Gentiles. And since the people could not approach God, only the priests could do that for them, they were excluded from that encounter with God. Finally, at the very center of the court of the priests was a relatively small building, and that contained the Holy of Holies, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and only the high priest could enter that, and even then only once a year. So as you can see, it went from, you know, anybody's welcome into this open area to ultimately into the most holy place where, where you could experience God, only one person could go. That was the setup. It was designed like a set of filters to keep the worst people out and the best people in. And it was that whole system that angered Jesus. Not just the buying and selling that was going on in the entrance at the court of the Gentiles. Can you see this? The the temple leaders had created an intricate system of discrimination. All in the name of God. And in Jesus' eyes, this wasn't only wrong, it was downright blasphemous. It was using God's name and God's house for personal preference, for personal gain, for personal upward mobility. All very upsetting to Jesus. But notice how even in his anger, Jesus stays true to his character. He remains respectful to others. He did not lay a finger on another person. He was upset. He threw tables around. He overturned benches. We don't know if he broke them. But we can conclude that property never came before people. People always come before property. We we see that very clearly here. Jesus did not raise a finger against any of these individuals. He was upset with them. You know, in the church today, so often our decisions, you know, put property ahead of people. It's got to go the other way around. Even in this scenario, as angry as Jesus was, as upset with the system that he was, that he was, he didn't even open a birdcage to let a dove out. He did not confiscate any of the money that he thought was unjustly taken. Even when Jesus was upset, he still respected the individuals. But in the end, what I want you to see is that it wasn't the buying and selling per se that made him angry. But if it wasn't that, what was it? Again, in verse 17, we see the answer. Jesus said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Here Jesus quotes two Old Testament prophets. He had stopped there on the steps of the court of the Gentiles. He had seen all the money exchanging hands and taxes being taken and merchants hawking their wares. And two scriptures pop into his head. 
And believe me, when Jesus quotes scripture, you better listen. He first cites Isaiah 56, 7, a section where Isaiah is talking about foreigners and outsiders being welcomed into the house of God. Isaiah 56, verses 6 to 8. And the rest of that verse that Jesus doesn't include would have been known very well by most of the Jews who heard him. It reads, my house shall be called a house of prayer, and here it comes, for all peoples. Jesus was incensed that his father's house which had been made open for all peoples, had been turned into what he calls a den of robbers. And that phrase comes from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. And again, there's something Jesus leaves out here. The rest of the verse that says, God's house has become a den of robbers, says, in your sight. And then it goes on to say, you know, I too am watching says the Lord. See, what infuriates Jesus is seeing what the temple leaders were doing intentionally and without shame in their own sight, and worse yet, they had the gall to do it under the nose of God himself on the very steps of his house. So let's put the pieces together. The Jewish leaders had set up a system that allowed them to profit from Jews and non-Jews alike by charging them temple taxes and selling them animals for sacrifice, and yet they would never allow any of those people to actually set foot in the house of God and encounter the living God. What a deal they had going for themselves. What a ripoff for the foreigners and outsiders called Gentiles. And it wasn't only the Gentiles. It was also the women and children, the sick and the poor, anyone else considered undesirable. You're not as good as we are. We're the only ones who get to become close to God. So none of those people had access to the temple. But still, they had to pay the temple taxes. They had to pay for temple sacrifices. Are you aware that the temple authorities did not allow anyone who was sick mentally or physically to even enter the temple grounds? They had to remain on the outside even of the court of Gentiles. Jesus is not amused. Matthew records in chapter 21 when he tells the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem that as soon as Jesus clears the steps of the money changers, to whom does he turn his attention? He walks down and away to the edge of the court to be with the sick and the marginalized and the disabled who are standing there. And what does he do for them? He heals them. And then the remaining verses in Matthew 21 drive home the message. It's more about what I would call chauvinism than it is about, let's say, materialism and the whole money thing. Chauvinism is the passionate belief that someone is better than someone else. Look what happened next. In Matthew 21 at verse 15, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that Jesus did, I mean... Jesus goes and he starts healing people at the outer court. And when the chief priests and scribes saw that, 
And then they heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. The scripture says they became angry at Jesus. Folks, this is nothing less than a divine condemnation of religious exclusivity around the temple of God. In whatever form it appears, elitism, sexism, ageism, racism, nationalism, every other ism we've created that reduces another person to something less than a child of God. Do you see that this lesson isn't about getting the money out of the church? It's about getting the many into the church. Drawing more and more and more outsiders into the temple to encounter God. You may be asking yourself, what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with evangel? Our religious system isn't at all like that, is it? I don't know. Is it? I do know that whenever I read God's word, it forces me to examine myself. And as a church these last months, the last couple of weeks and on in the weeks ahead, we are going to examine ourselves some more. And the question we need to be asking is, are we faithful to Jesus or are we upsetting Jesus? Are we pleasing to God or displeasing? This passage shows us several things that would please God. Several things that would make God very much happy with us. First, we must be a house of prayer. And when I say this passage, I mean Matthew 21. We must be a house of prayer. If we're not praying, we're missing something. Show me a church that has more prayer groups meeting regularly than they do committees, and I'll show you a healthy church. We have a long ways to go. This house has to be a house where we bow to no other than God, and we bow when we pray. Second, this must be a house for the worship of all persons. We don't have the right to exclude anybody from entering this house and worshiping God. Thirdly, this has to be a house of power. This is the place where the power of the Holy Spirit is bestowed on all who cry out for the Holy Spirit, who are in need of the Holy Spirit, who long for God's grace and forgiveness to touch them and change them and transform them and heal them. And so we are to be a hospital for hurting people. And finally, this is to be a house of praise. This must always be a place where God's name is lifted up and God is praised. All of our programs and projects are great, but if we're not directing others into the presence of the living God, then we are blocking the steps to those who God wants to meet with. And so let me put it bluntly. If we are expecting guests to come here We better clean up the house. And I don't mean the building. But we better clean up the house. Put out the welcome sign in the biggest letters possible. And keep the doors open for all.
for all. Before his Friday appointment on the cross, Jesus stops by his father's house on Palm Sunday. And he looked around at everything. And he's greatly offended. He's offended by the barriers that his, his priests have put up at the door. And Jesus is standing at the front steps and he's warning us against getting so caught up in the business of our religion, so caught up in the business of church that we forget who God has invited to be his house guests. It was quite a remarkable statement he made in Jerusalem. Not only the religious folks took notice, but the political folks took notice as well. They didn't like it one bit and they set in motion the events leading to his politically sponsored execution. But it is why on this Sunday before Easter, we don't just have a parade and we don't just wave a flag in order to feel good. Instead, we gather to hear the story of an intentional march amid cries for help in the hope that we too might live decisively and confidently as we take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow him.